Hello, my friends, we meet again. It's been a while. Where should we begin? 1968, that's where, because that's where it's happening. What's happening? Good question. Uh, welcome along, everyone, to the time machine for your ears, the retrospective for the soul and the chronological journey that moves you. Uh, to join me as ever, a man who doesn't shop at Jenny's shoes, who wouldn't lower himself to go see a woman, uh, and who's not afraid of nudie Charlie High. It's Simon Chadwick. How's things? Hey, Karen, how are you getting on? You're not too bad, not too bad. Um, and as always, we are joined on our wonderful audio road trip by a special guest. And this week, Simon, we've got quite the introduction for him. So go ahead and tell us who we got. Yes. So uh, th- this guest describes himself, Kieran, as a documentary filmmaker, musician, singer, award winning writer, and film festival winner, ex soap opera storyline writer for RT, ex sitcom creator, ex stand up, current Facebook quiz master, president of Stubvid, Stubvid Media, uh, but mostly. Recently, he's been on the dole. It's Stephen Steve Stubbs. Hey, Steve. Thank you very much, uh, Kieran and Simon. That's a wonderful uh, introduction. Um, I could have I, I could have written, written it any better myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, that pretty much covers everything so far. Um, and yeah, it's been fun. It's been a fun life so far. <laughs> but thanks very much for being on your on your on your podcast. It's actually yeah. a wonderful concept. Uh, reeling in the, I'm a big fan of puns. So yeah, that's a pretty good pun. <laughs> Reeling in the really reeling in your ears in your ears or, or their ears your ears yeah your yeah. ears they, yes yeah yeah very, so, very good. It's, uh, really, it's it's the best thing we've got going for us Steve. yeah <laughs> well well you know what the 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 concept and the whole thing actually kind of came to me like a like a eureka moment but uh the, the first words out of my mouth when I thought about it in my head were the words reeling in your ears and I uh, was yeah. having dinner with my wife and kids. And I literally put my fork down and looked off my plate and went reeling in your ears. And my wife just went, what? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I got I got a backtrack here. I got a backtrack here. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you enjoyed the concept. Many people do too. Uh, we seem yeah. to be uh, seem to be gathering quite quite the, quite the audience. Um, and um, if you are listening to the to the, the sound of our voices and you wish to follow up and keep up with the segments and and all the gen- general merriment, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at r i y e podcast and also on facebook um you don't really have to do much with facebook just search for us and we will pop up there um so with all the hot dogging and grandstanding out of the way we are ready to fly so with this episode of course 1968 we're getting towards the end of the 60s we are slowly moving out of the genre of black and white tv and to kick us off, we are over to Balliers first, as a resident describes her joy at living in her new accommodation in Ballymun. As the last block is laid on the apartment buildings, we get a shot of a man in an overcoat and a suit who clearly has no idea how to use a trowel. Um, it looks like he's trying to scrape the last bit of spaghetti back onto his plate with the thing. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 a very um it might be the first instance on this show of uh, of politicians you know getting their photo up and doing things they clearly cannot do uh, and uh, i think the, I, I, his name escapes me but this is this guy is definitely a minister um uh, sorry steve you'll, you'll notice that we sh- there are plenty of things on this show that both kieran and i should have researched and did not and this man's name is definitely one of them um uh, but uh, he's uh, he's he's kind of wiping it's it's almost like he's got shit on his shoe and he's like <laughs> wiped the shoe and now he's wiping it away just kind of like it's 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 he doesn't want to be in Ballymun let's put it that way yeah I think, I think back then there literally was a minister for shit minister for shit wiping <laughs> Ireland was in a, Ireland was in quite a, a sorry state shall we say back then um you know the things were not quite going as economically swimmingly as you as you were later on 
during airtime because oh no actually that's all falling apart again but yeah. you know what i mean ireland was kind of struggling by like a, like a kind of a, a guy just with a trail yeah. a bit of cement on the end and it was just just about getting by basically i think was how my parents described it back in the 60s yeah um they didn't realize how poor they were what they kind of were yeah. well if, yeah. the, if the work if the work rate of the minister in question was matched by the actual builders <laughs> see why ireland was in the shits like economically yeah. Yeah. yeah that's why it's been taking so long for this apartment lock to go up it's literally been like a slow process because they couldn't find a guy who knew how to work a troll um and uh well, the, the woman the, the woman seems very optimistic about her future in the ballymun flats and i hope she had a great life there yeah um yeah you she, know, she, she, she did yeah. <laughs> she she sounded she sounded quite content with herself. And uh, although it's a new little town, Ballymun is sorely lacking in amenities. As two women talk about how they still have to go into town to order the butchers, the chemist. Uh, one lady is wearing a very I don't know if you so I mean you're actually the one who kind of points out the the the, the fashion and the uniqueness of this mm-hmm. style with the with the fetching gansies and the jaunty hats. Um, but this lady is wearing a very fetching cap, but but it looks like a ruski hat with a chin strap. Yeah. yeah, it it looks like a giant Gonzalez beard. Uh, <laughs> if anyone remembers the '90s wrestler yes. giant Gonzalez, he had a chin beard, and that's this is what this looks like. It's it's uncanny. Mm. Um, yeah, it's you know what? It's bold. She lives. Look, she's obviously she's a modern woman in the '60s. She lives in a new town. She's got a she's gonna be on the TV. She's gonna go to town to get her chemist shop and her butchers. Her meat in the butchers. So I mean, <laughs> rather be dressed in the finery, and she's well, look, she's gone for it. And you know. Um, Maybe, maybe we had Fawcett Circus in a previous uh, in a previous episode, and maybe she was auditioning for Bearded Lady. Could be that's what it looks like. Um, but you know, fair fair play to her. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about the hats because that was quite striking. If anyone watches the episode, which they should be doing while listening to this podcast, hmm. uh, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube as far as I can tell. That, that episode, it is. Um, that um, yeah, it's like it's like she kind of has adapted. Like, you know, the way sometimes um, um, old couture fashion kind of, you know, is really extreme and like mm. almost unwearable. But then it works. <laughs> it trickles its way down into the mainstream a couple of years later, you know, um, in a kind of toned down version. So it's kind of like she went for the kind of, you know, the, what are they called? The, the horse guards parade. Those guys in, in over in, over in Buckingham Palace. Oh, the, the gigantic. The, the, the yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like she kind of based her look on that, but kind of downsized it to an acceptable rate. You know, because those hats are almost unwearable. The ones there that I wear in, in the army. The, the um, so it looks, good, it looks good. Fair play to her. She's individual, you know, very mm. individual, individualistic look. Mm. And uh, the, the thing about Ballymun Flats is, um, yeah, there was some, there was some slight. The, the Ballymun Flats, I think, they began building them. I think in the fifties rather than the sixties. It took a long time to build them, obviously, based on a kind of a brutalist Eastern European kind of style of building. Um, where everyone would just kind of live happily in these kind of cities, cities in the sky, you know. But mm. unfortunately, there were some infrastructural errors made by the planners insofar as they had no shops or supermarkets, <laughs> you yeah. know, really. Yeah. And that's kind of what those ladies are referring to. That is true. They, you know, for a long time, there was very little uh, infrastructure. Um, uh, 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 it did obviously get better as time went on, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they 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 definitely had to to kind of go far afield for uh for a while, yeah. and uh, you know the the Ballymun of the day, you know, back in the day with that little old lady saying how grateful she is for her flat, didn't kind of turn out, you know, that 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 way towards the end, um, and you know they were they were mm-hmm. of course eventually knocked. 
Um, yeah. And uh, after that, speaking of Buckingham Palace, we go to London with everybody's favourite four-piece, The Beatles, as Yellow Submarine has its premiere. Uh, the film is met with mixed reactions as John Lennon is seen sitting next to the little girl from The Ring. Oh no, never mind, it's Yoko Ono. Yeah, I think I think there was mixed reactions because there was different levels of um, the, the the drugs that the audience ran were different levels of strength. <laughs> That's definitely mixed reactions, you know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> a few dodgy acid tabs, I think, here and there. Because yeah, it, 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 Yellow Submarine is famously pretty much just an acid trip. The entire thing, you know. Um, that's Never, where the Beatles yeah. were at that point. That was kind of their golden era of acid taking. Only last a few months, actually. Um, <laughs> they weren't hardcore acid heads to Beatles, despite mm. what people think. Um, yeah, Yellow Submarine. And, and, and famously, that's not their voices in the film. Really? No, it's not. Actors. They got, it brought in actors to do their voices. I'm not sure why, <laughs> <laughs> but it does sound like them. Um, <laughs> I've, I've never actually uh, I've, I haven't actually seen the, the film Yellow Submarine but hey um, yeah. I, I guess it's I'll cartoon. keep it yeah it's mad. a wacky cartoon this, this is this is the completion of the uh, the metamorphosis of the Beatles yeah. that we've seen over the course of the series Kieran because <laughs> um, they're they're rep- replete now far from the, the mop headed suit wearing band of, of only probably 63 like five years before um, but now they've got the long hair you know the kind of frilly and although it's black and white you can tell probably quite colourful suits Paul McCartney is eating an apple in the cinema I mean it's anarchy like it's just you know it's 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 um, it's, it's chaos, really. chaos yeah. and as, as, as Steve says you know acid galore for a couple of months so um yeah it's uh they're very different from the the, the young lads who were messing around with uh what was his name cliff uh cliff or dodge ken dodge, ken dodge uh, yeah. about, mm. about cliff and earth and all these earthy names uh what in the 60 in the episode in 63 so it just goes to show how quickly they uh how quickly they uh they found themselves yeah um, and yeah. became the beatles they it's did. remarkable um i mean the 60 from 60 i mean the 60s didn't really begin this is a subject I could go on about because it's one of my things. But basically, the 60s didn't really begin until about 64. Um, up until then, up until, up until 63, it, it kind of looked like the 50s um, in you know, fashion and hairstyles. Hair but from 64 to 69, literally, it's like a renaissance at warp speed. You know, like the Renaissance took about 50 to 100 years to play out in Italy and so on, you know, but it, it all happened in pretty much six years in the 60s here on in, in you know, around the world, which is incredible. Thank, thanks to the invention of acid. Um, that helped a bit, all right. Yeah, that, that certainly yeah. did. Um, and up next, we get a shot of Jackie Kennedy as she gets remarried. Um, I'd say the widow's pension was drying up, in fairness. Um, she marries shipping tycoon Aristotle Onassis. Every time I hear uh, tycoon for anything, I just think Monopoly. <laughs> well, I... I um, oh, what? Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I think of him. I, I remember yeah, Aristotle Onassis. Obviously, she famously married him after poor LJFK. A uh, little short guy, very extremely extraordinarily rich, short, about five foot four, I think he is. And um, but I remember as a kid, for some reason, I was in, into the Kennedys thing when I was a kid reading about Ke- the Kennedys. I remember just thinking she got married to a shipping magnet, like a, a gigantic magnet stuck to a ship. Now, obviously, it's nonsensical, but I didn't know what magnet meant. <laughs> Uh, I'm still not quite sure what a magnet is. That's, you know, a shipping yeah. tycoon. But what is a magnet? Yeah, what's the difference between a magnet and a tycoon? <laughs> I, t- I still don't know. I've yeah. never Googled the word magnet. I should have all these years of Google. Yeah, maybe it's because they're, I don't know, attractive. 
Um, very good that's good Kieran yeah there you go that's the best that's the best theory we have yeah. that's the best <laughs> theory we have you're a, you're a magnet if you're a trap if you're attractive and if you're there yeah. you go if you're rich and attractive you're a magnet if you're rich and five foot four you're a tycoon um <laughs> <laughs> a quick a quick glance at his Wikipedia page says that Aristotle Anassis was a Greek shipping magnet, and then <laughs> in and then in in his like little uh, the, the right hand side where they have his picture and his basic details, his occupation is listed as shipping tycoon slash businessman. Oh. So I don't know, <laughs> so no none the wiser as to what to do. I probably should just Google what magnet and tycoon mean, but like uh, yeah, you know, that would have been too smart. Yeah, I, I, I think I, it's te- I think it's technically pronounced magnate. Ah, you know, I mean, I think we mispronounce it, but it's magnate because yeah. there's an e at the end. We, we, oh, there's an e, yeah, then it probably is. Ah, we, we'll we'll come mm. back to it. Um, <laughs> and uh, in Rome, Pope Paul releases the Human Vitae Encyclical, where he basically states Johnnies are bad and they're against God. Um, so you know you shouldn't be using uh, contraception at all, at all, which is a, a stance that they've had for quite a while. And uh, Cardinal yeah. William Conway states that. What the Pope has said is authentic and binding. The genuine article stating it's not really up for debate. You don't want what you want. You want what we tell you to want sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It took them years. It took them years. It took all those men about, I don't know, four or five years to debate that issue in their vitae, whatever it's called. Their curriculum vitae. Um, so it, it, took a, it, took a, it took a room full of middle-aged men four or five years to figure out what God wanted. Yeah. Is that kind of weird? Celibate man. Be good to ask them. I mean, I thought the Pope can speak directly to God. That's one of his. That's one of his main features. The Pope can speak directly to God. Like, seriously, that's one of his superpowers. Yeah. Superpowers are. Right, so yeah. Why did he pick the phone up and ask him? The, I don't get it. There you mm. go. Yeah. <laughs> it's mm. yeah. It, it's it's funny how they always come back to it. It's like they they kind of stick in a new thing every so often that they're suddenly against, and it's like okay, let's have a read even where it says in the Bible that your ex is bad. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, even in, I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit older than you guys. Um, well, I don't know what Simon is, but I'm presuming I am. I remember I come from the I come from the era when condoms were still illegal. Would you believe? I remember when the first condom machines were put into nightclubs in '94. Would you believe '94? Maybe '93. Before then, you would not see them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Almost impossible to get. So incredible. The, ni- the mid '90s. Yeah, we're we're certainly a bit behind the uh, the times here in terms of um, yeah. Terms but that all comes. But that all comes. That all comes from that particular pronunciation in '68. Hmm. Well, there you go. Because Ireland, Ireland took it seriously. The rest of the world didn't really take it seriously. Ireland took it seriously. Yeah, we were, we're, <laughs> we were too afraid. We were too afraid to move sideways and buy Johnny's. <laughs> um, yeah. And while uh, while we're stuck in in seemingly the dark ages, uh, America, however, is is starting to get up there because we're back for the space race next. Um, and it's it, it's been a while. <clears throat> um, it's been a while. It has, as the Americans celebrate, a successful space space mission. Uh, Apollo 8 orbits the moon in December. Um, the gentlemen who went up were Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders. Um, and they're the ones who took the now famous photo, uh, Earthrise. You know, the one where the, the photo from the moon of, like, the, the, the Earth as it's kind yeah. of rising. Yeah, they're, they're, that's, where, that's, where that, uh, that's where that came from. So now you know. You mean the one Stanley Kubrick took? Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> Yeah, because Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landings. Oh, well. Did you not know that, no? No. no, no. <laughs> well, now I know. Um, you know, the, yeah. The... Um, yeah, they 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 tell tell us that the uh, when they, they they come back to Earth that the um, the successful sort of uh, spacecraft they always land in the ocean, uh, you know, safe landing. But I wonder, did they ever check to see if somebody's out fishing? 
You know, like there could be somebody on a fishing trawler in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and all of a sudden here comes this rocket and, you know, nobody checked. So now, now you're done for. There's your fishing trip ruined because three astronauts are about to crash safely in on top of you. <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a rather unfortunate way to die. I mean, talk about being hit by lightning. That's, that must yeah. be the odds. It must be even much greater. You're better off dying because if you, if, you, mm. if you get injured and you survive, nobody is going to believe that that happened to you. Yeah. Well, the odds yeah. are the odds are probably higher with James Lovell as commander because um, anyone who's seen the movie Apollo 13 will know that uh, James Lovell was obviously in the crew in Apollo 8, which is in 1968. But he also was the commander of the oh. Apollo 13 mission, which nearly ended in disaster. Um, so anyone, mm. uh, there was a good, very, there's a very good movie in which Tom Hanks plays him. But um, yeah, basically, the I don't know the, the technicalities of it, not being particularly well versed in uh, in space travel. But uh, basically, uh, something went wrong. Uh, you know, one of the parts it didn't do what the part was supposed to do. Uh, it didn't play its part, and therefore they were all going to die. Yeah. And between ground control and them, they managed to figure out a solution for them to get back in. Mm to the earth without blowing up. Uh, yeah. well, I think one of the, well, um, the oxygen tanks exploded on the outside of the spaceship and electrical yeah. faults. Ah. The other way, like, you're not really meant, you're not really meant to, like, um, if you drop an oxygen tank from a height, it'll explode um, or something like that. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was some kind of, something similar to that. Yeah, but the, how they figured out how to fix it between NASA and in, on the spaceship is, in, is an incredible story. Yeah. yeah, survival, you know, and that so movie well, well worth watching. Yeah, yeah, Ron yeah. Howard. Yeah, it's um, it, it, you know, in my mind, how it plays out is that like a bag of potato chips and uh, some ants from an ant farm got in and clogged the instruments, <laughs> um, and they, yeah. uh, they were saved by an inanimate carbon rod, and they all lived happily after ever. Yes, <laughs> that's how I remember yeah. it. That's that's it. Yeah. That's how it happened. That's how it happened in the history books. Um. And in keeping with history books, one of the greatest footballers of all time. Um, Man United becomes the first English team to win a European Cup this year, winning 4-1 over Benfica. And we get a lovely shot of Irishman Georgie Best putting one in the back of the net. Um, without a doubt, you know, like the style of football has certainly moved on in the last 50 years. But without a doubt, George Best has to be up there as a contender, as one of the greatest of all time, has he not? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, he was the, he was the first major, super, first proper superstar of British football, anyway, mm. um, because he had, he had everything. I mean, he was play as you said, the, the style of play is different. It's as it in slower and a bit messier, but the skill levels are still pretty good. You know, because they were they were playing with balls that are about twice as heavy as they are now. Um, and to control, to contr- I, I remember I remember playing with one of those balls a long, long time ago, and like, you know, you'd be shitting yourself heading the ball. You, know, you literally would be trying not to head the ball. Yeah, uh, as you know, ducking, a lot of ducking going on. Yeah, and um, so we... to, to dribble the ball, with, you know, was so hard on, on crap pitches. Yeah. unbelievable balance he had. Yeah. You know? And defenders could commit GBH on you and just get, yeah. a <laughs> get away well. with there it. Was yeah. Very little uh, protection back for for guys like uh, we, guys yeah. like George Best. I have an issue with this, um, oh. Kieran Wright, for two reasons. Okay, it's United. so uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's the major reason. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, like that club. Um, particularly <laughs> as Kieran knows, I'm a Leeds United yeah. fan. Um, so I, I, and I, I have an issue with it, right? Because um, Orgy have this clip in the '68 episode, but Celtic, who I, who you know, would have, I would say have a, a, a nearly as strong following in Ireland yeah. as uh, as as this club. Um, do they? They won it the year before, and there was no mention from Orgy. Oh. So you know where was. 
where were where were where were Jimmy McGee and the boys back then? Um, oh. you know, just 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 to say. Um but uh, but yeah, so I've I've I have written no notes for this segment and I will not uh, You I will not, not <laughs> you won't condone it. This is the only ever piece This is the only ever clip One of two, excuse me, one of two yeah. clips uh, The other being in the 99 episode uh, uh, In the entirety of Reeling in the Ears Which, oh. I, will not, uh, which I will not partake in what, what I'll do is I'll do what I did with my uh, Myra Hindley joke at the end of uh, the last episode I'm going to just bleep Put a bleep in And then every time I co- And I'm like, I'll, I'll introduce it as Oh, and Man United, beep And then we'll move on <laughs> to the next segment It'll, it'll keep everybody satisfied Because hey, I'm a Liverpool fan So it works for me Yeah there you go. <laughs> um, but just, just just to keep things on message and trying to link everything together here because I'm a pro. <laughs> um, George Best was called the fifth Beatle. He was, he, wasn't true. he? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was Ken Dodd. No, he can't. He can't sing or anything, but um, he just had the hair and everything, you know. Yeah, they didn't go with Ken Dodd in the end. They went with George. They went with George. You know, look, he was he was obviously a, a, an unbelievable footballer, and and to be from this island, um, you know, to have produced a player like uh, yeah. like George mm. Best, and obviously. Uh, a, a kind of a tragic story in that he's he's I think he's 22 um when you see this clip here he's like 22 23 he's very very early in his career but this is really the peak of George Best because mm-hmm. within a couple of years he's actually gone from from um from uh this club and he uh and he 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 just never hit these heights again you know due to obviously his per- personal issues so it's it, but he was you know when he was good and, and in that initial period he was um obviously obviously one of the very very best ever played yeah, he, he certainly yeah. was. Um, and uh, speaking of one of the best, um, one of the best things about doing this show, and it's one of our favorite segments, uh, I guess, to date, um, we get scenes of the Eurovision. Um, Austin Powers, I mean, I'm sorry, I mean, Cliff mm-hmm. Richard, uh, it takes to the stage with his song, Congratulations. Uh, it was another hit for Phil Coltier. I didn't realize he wrote this. Um, mm. how, and however, in the competition, they only came second. So Phil Coltier is certainly like when it comes to Eurovision, Phil is the one you want in your corner by the looks of things. Phil's the man. I mean, Phil, Phil, you know, he he wrote the Puppet on a String. String last year, which we saw win. Um, and obviously, congratulations, which somehow uh, didn't win, but but obviously yeah. went on. Went on to become a worldwide hit, as they say. And uh, and obviously, as you say, Cliff um, Cliff's get up here inspired. Hundred uh, percent. Austin Powers. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> suit, and it was the very first thing I thought when I saw it because <laughs> well I've seen this episode before but I hadn't really registered it and I actually only watched what, that Austin Powers movie was happened to be on last night <laughs> on, one, on Comedy Central I think and uh, well, I, I ended up watching yeah. it I didn't I actually didn't think of Austin Powers because although obviously it, it does look like that now but I actually thought of uh, Seinfeld because famous uh, I don't know if you watched Seinfeld but the, the famous puffy shirt episode which is pretty much what um, Cliff is wearing as well. Ah. That puffy thing coming out of his Yeah, his I always throat. wondered, is it, is it like a double-breasted yeah. shirt or is it like just a load of hankies? It, it, no, it's just a big... It's a, it's, no, there is, a, there is a substantial shirt underneath that kind of uh, jacket he's wearing. And yeah. you're, just see, you're just seeing one little bit of it coming out uh, in that kind of ruffle, that rough. He's, but that's yeah. actually part of a big, a big, big puffy shirt, kind of like a, kind of Elizabethan-era shirt almost. Because in yeah. the 60s there, in the late 60s, there was a whole Elizabethan... A revival in clothes, seriously, yeah. yeah you, you go into a shop and just buy like something like Henry VIII would wear, and it was kind of um, acceptable. 
you know yeah that's Mm. nuts because it's like i've never like i i I don't associate that suit with anybody else except for cliff richard and austin bowers (laughs) so either there was just not enough footage of it or it just wasn't popular and like i just imagine like cliff richard you know all these years later this is the first time he ever wore that suit he's never wearing it again he went backstage afterwards (laughs) and they were like look cliff this the the reason we came second is because you're naff short like you need to ditch it and he's like right fine i'll get rid of it and then like years later when he's in his 50s and 60s he's sitting down watching said oh look there's a lovely film now about a spy turns it on and he's like god no god no <laughs> well he's got he has a he has a long list of fashion disasters uh cliff that really that particular outfit is not too bad compared to some other stuff i could send you and i have yeah. a secret archive of cliff richard photographs <laughs> uh, i could send you Kieran. who doesn't yeah who doesn't they- they're the they're the they're the cliff notes um yeah there you go um and actually this brings us to one of my favorite segments it's a bit early on in the show for it but hell uh gentlemen pop quiz so cliff richard there yeah so yeah i forgot to mention sorry steve we do this actually every show um and so in keeping with that cliff richard singing for england in Vision with his song Congratulations. Now, even though he didn't win, it did come on, it did go on rather to become an international hit. And it's heard at like every, you know, just every ad for like the lotto and things like that throughout the year. So it never went away. Now, Cliff Richard is very famous for having a number one hit in every decade from the 50s to the 90s. But in total, my question for you is how many hits did Cliff Richard have? So I'm going to start with Simon. Simon, what do you reckon? How many hits did Cliff Richard have? When you say hits, so is it number one hits? Number one, this... sorry. Number one. Okay. How many times okay. did he reach number one in the UK charts? Okay, so I mean, it's a long career. Um, still going. You know, it's, it, it, it is still going. And uh, fair fair play to him. What's that, 60 years at this point? Yeah. Um, because we heard one of his songs, I think earlier, the young ones was was in like one of the first episodes. Mm, yeah. um, so I mean, that's that's and and Summer yeah. Holiday also was in one of the episodes, early episodes. So he's been uh, that was he's Smelly been going. Bray. That was for Smelly Bray. Yeah. That was for Smelly Bray. That's right. Jeez, you're taking me back. We're gonna have to redo a recap of all of these. Um, <laughs> totally yeah. So he he would so, have had so, he would have had hits in fifty eight, fifty nine as well. Yeah, this is madness. So, um, to answer your question, I mean, I don't know is the honest answer. So let's just let's just have a wee guess. So I think if we say he's had one in every decade, but he's definitely had like a couple in every decade. So um, I'm going to say I'm going to say twelve. Oh, okay, twelve. Right, right. Steve, I know you're quite the music mogul, so uh, you might. Are you saying like it. top? Are you saying top forty hits? No, no, top number one. So number how, one. How many times yeah, yeah. Is Clifford? How many songs Clifford had that reached number one in the UK charts? Just okay, remember, he loves a Christmas number one, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And do you know what? I hate the. I hate. I actually have a strong disliking for Cliff Richard, just because he basically went to number one just by singing the Our Father, and that drives me demented. <laughs> the Millennium Prayer that was called. I oh God! <laughs> it was coincided with the Y2K, the Y2K book. <laughs> And that song came out the same day. Imagine, um, that's it. The world is ending. We're all fucked. Yeah. And the last thing we have to hear is Cliff Richard singing the Our Father. God. Anyway, <laughs> I, think was, I think that was, I think that was the final nail in the coffin of his Christmas thing. Um, I think that was pretty much the last number one 
Christmas number one. Fucking take of the piss, to be fair. Yeah. No, because then what? Get you and your prayers and your naff shirt and fuck off. Yeah, because what happened then, of course, it was the dawn of uh, X Factor and the voice and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah, then that's then got every Christmas number ones for the next 20 years, my God. I mean, my guess would be something a little bit higher than 12 because um, he had a lot of hits in the early 60s, like number ones, left, right and centre. And then in the 70s, he had four or five number ones. Um, I would say something like 15. Okay, right, so we've got 12 versus 15. So I can confirm that between the decades of the 50s and the 90s, the last one, of course, being 1999, the Prayer, Cliff Richard has had... 14 number Ooh. one hits. So, Steve, you got it nearly on the money. You were the closest Thank one. Thank you very much. 14, 14. Thank you. What, what do I win? Uh, the knowledge that Cliff Richard has 14 <laughs> hits. That's that's all that we can <laughs> offer you right now. Right. That's the price all that you need. Yeah. Priceless. Now, look, I mean, I and this is deadly serious. I sent an email to Mattress Mick earlier um, because I wanted to know if you were interested in sponsorship of the show. So if we do, look, I'll get you a mattress topper. That, that'll, that'll be right. Yeah. Give me a king size mattress, please. Yeah, see, somebody was somebody was talking to me about the podcast earlier, and they were like, you know, you should just fire off a few emails to random like companies in Ireland that could do with the, you know, the sponsorship or whatever, or like the advertising. And then we were driving past Mattress Mix, and I was like, do you know what? He sounds like a decent bloke. So I found an email address for the corporate office. I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll bang away an email, and be like, hey, look, you give it, you send us a mattress, and we'll advertise your shit. So we'll see how that goes. If you get a mattress stopper in the post, then you know you'll know you won. Cool. <laughs> um, I believe, I believe, there, according to my sources, there is. Now a mattress mick um store in waterford there is there is down by the wow. screw fix place yeah, across from the toy wow. shop yeah yeah it's um <clears throat> we're coming up in the world down here uh, yeah you really are that's 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 mm. great progress yeah we just need a marks and spencers now and that's it we're done yeah that's it we're sorted there's no reason to go to clonmel after we get the marks and spencers <laughs> <laughs> there's no reason to go to clonmel anyway that's <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, after that then we get uh, or sorry sticking with the Eurovision rather our entry was Pat McGeegan with Chance of a Lifetime um, and we came fourth um, now the winner uh, of the Eurovision for that year and this is no joke was La 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 by Masil for mm-hmm. Spain um, when and she well she's singing this she's very clearly trying to take flight um, she's flapping her <laughs> arms and just going la 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 like a mental patient um, and that one la 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 it's a won. disgrace it's, it's a disgrace girl. It's a, I like, it's, I look I'm not I'm not you know the Eurovision has had its time now and you know the 90s was obviously the best decade for the Eurovision I think we can all agree oh, but yeah. this this winning is an abomination <laughs> we've all made our feelings on Cliff Richard very clear but yeah. it's still a better song than this like it this is, is this is a woman shouting la at the microphone like a million times as yeah. and as you said like clearly tripping like she's like her arms are all over the place she's kind of like her, glazed eyes and this kind of these teeth are everywhere and it's just it's a disgrace I'm not happy about it yeah well I mean don't don't I mean just because it was the Eurovision don't think um acid had not infiltrated <laughs> the water system um whoever that, that show was yeah um, it was in, in the UK wasn't it because they it in the UK yeah yeah, yeah they won it the year before yeah so that yeah with so John, Len- John Lennon probably threw a bit of acid in the water yeah, pretty the much. Were there the night before, um, yeah, because <laughs> I, I lost my shit last week. A puppet on a string winning because I just thought that that fucking concept for a song was absolutely just the drizzling shits. But no, la 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 takes the biscuit. Um, now speaking of 
okay, we've gone from not so great songs to probably the best song I've ever heard in my life <laughs> as we get an ad for Phoenix mm. Beer. Um, and I'm hooked by the line, if you're a pint man, and I've been singing it in my head for the last week. Um, it's so catchy. It, it is, isn't it? I kept going, if you're a pint man. <laughs> I really wanted a pint of Phoenix. So I'm like... so badly. I so badly wanted one. And I was like, oh my God, please tell me this is the debut of Paddy Losty because I heard Pint Man. Oh, it would have been so good. Yeah, I'm know. pretty sure uh, Phil Coulter wrote that song as well. <laughs> he wrote everything <laughs> he wrote else. Wrote everything. He wrote everything back then. <laughs> he, could, he could put his hand down. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's Phoenix Beer. Um, the dancing pint glasses really sell it as well. The dancing pint glasses are extraordinary um, because I obviously I've kind of done stuff with special effects over the years in my in my projects. And uh, that's a hell of a lot of work in that, in that music, in that in that in that um, ad. Yeah. Like each one of those pint glasses is hand animated by with stop motion, pretty much. Yeah, I was going to say, is it stop motion? Yeah, because yeah. it's that, I, that's I, I figured that's what it is. Yeah, it's, There's it's no other way to go back then. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but that's see, that's what I was thinking because I've done a bit as well with um, with stop motion in particular. And it mm. is it is it's a pain in the hole. But um, with stop motion, like you, you, the one thing you want to make sure is that your your hand or the wire or whatever you're using is not visible. And huh. these things that are dancing, in order for it to be full on proper stop motion, they would somebody would need to have held all those pine glasses simultaneously at an angle, you know, took the photo and then did it again in the reverse and mm. then splice them together. So I like I'm really curious. I'd love to see how this works because there's no way that that could have been done with standard stop motion technique of literally place something, you know, photo place it something because they're at awkward angles. You know, it, it doesn't really I couldn't get my head around. It. Well, they're probably you mean you mean on a diagonal. Yeah, like they're 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 kind of. I have a bottle of water in front of me here, and I realize nobody can fucking see me. But they're um, yeah. like they're kind of. It's it's tilted like it's gonna fall over, you know that kind of. And then they they move yeah. it back to where it's on the other side, like it's gonna fall over, and then splice it together, and it's dancing. But there's no hand visible. It's at an angle. How would they've gotten multiple pint glasses to have done that? You know, that's what I wanted to know. I think it's done with a combination of uh, invisible, like a fish fishing line. Ah, you, you, fishing line. Yeah, you can't really see fishing line. That was probably shot on thirty-five millimeter or sixteen millimeter film. Sixteen millimeter film is a little bit. It doesn't quite show up the detail you'd need to see fishing line because a lot of that is you. You know, when you watch um, like an, any um, stop motion, like you know, yeah. like um, Wallace and Gromit and stuff. Yeah, and they'll be jumping up in the air and flying and stuff, and you can't. You know, obviously, so there is. There has to be something holding them in place. Yeah. Um, but there's all kinds of little tricks that they, the tricks of the trade, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I'm intrigued by, Fe- I am, I've never heard of Phoenix beer. Steve, you live in um, Waterford. It was brewed in Waterford. No, never in my life have I heard of that. Yeah, no, I alcohol, did. I, 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 really? I've, yeah, I've heard of it. Mm. Um, I've heard of it for years. Um, but they took it off the market after all those hillbillies went blind. Um, oh. No. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there was two, there's two famous beers that were brewed in Waterford and were discontinued. Mm. Now, famously, Phoenix actually continues uh, making because it's not uh, just a beer company. They made, um, oh God, they made others like soft drinks and things like that. And they continued up mm. until around 2002 um, and actually making Phoenix beer until 2002. And the other one was Hoffman's. Um, yeah. and I remember now, I remember Hoffman's all right. Yeah, now oh, yeah. Hoffman's was taken off the market because because people actually went blind because they it, it had a, such a high lead count. Um, lead, lead, yeah. There was very good. 
<laughs> yeah, that explained a lot because I, I pretty much started drinking uh, on half months. Well, um, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, no, it, now it, you know. Yeah, well, now, now you know. I know. Now you know why. Um, why, why I, everything tastes why like a pencil. I'm, I'm an X. Why, why do so many X's after my careers? <laughs> <laughs> That's all blackouts. <laughs> exactly. Um, can't concentrate on anything. <laughs> and, all that <laughs> up next we get a shot of Martin Luther King as he puts on quite the speech uh, one that would make Muhammad Ali jealous um, as he says my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord but uh, unfortunately early morning or April 4th a shot rings out in the Memphis sky that line of course would be from uh, Pride by U2 but it is in direct reference to the assassination of Martin Luther King um, and this would of course be obviously the last that we see of him as he is assassinated on the 4th of April uh, over 150,000 people attend his funeral as women are seeing uh, uncontrollably Um now, this scene, uh, as sad as it is, I mean, we could spend hours talking about the death and the life of Martin Luther King. It's a well-documented, I mean, he's got a national holiday named after him in the States, mm. but it plays into kind of the next scene. Now, they really did not pick the best song for this um, because mm. it, it was Nights in White Satin, uh, mm. which, which just the connotations and the imagery that that conjures up just doesn't go down well after you've just seen Martin Luther King's assassination. Um, but uh, Bobby Kennedy is seen shaking hands with mourners uh, and he claims that whites and blacks need to work together to move forward as he carries on his brother's legacy. Hours after securing the Democratic primary election in California, he's assassinated, carrying on his brother's legacy. Sorry. It's true, but like, I, like <laughs> what I always found odd or like mad about Bobby Kennedy being shot as well is like after JFK did 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 no one think that maybe better security was the way to go like you know this like we we saw it in the episode in 63 like you know somebody takes a shot at Kennedy obviously shoots him in the head or did they you know um but like you know he he had his brains blown out one way or the other and then you know the the would the assassin or alleged assassin or the patsy depending on your beliefs who was arrested for it he got shot by a guy who literally ran up to him and shot him as he was being transported by police and then a couple Mm -hmm. of years later like you've got Bobby Kennedy just out and about i think i think it says there hours after the democratic convention like just just you know he's just um just going about his business or whatever and somebody comes up and shoots him and it's like this is why you have such security around yeah. uh, around like america no, well he was he was shot he was shot in the in the um convention center or the hotel oh, the, yeah, yeah he was I shot in the, the ballroom was, he was just he had just come off stage and was making his way through the throng of people yeah and the kitchen porter um what's his name saran saran was the name of the assassin and he was uh, working as a kitchen porter in the hotel oh um one of, those, one of those big gigantic hotel convention places you know and um so he just merrily made his way from the kitchen with his little gun and um walked right up to him and shot him yeah yeah i mean there was some there was security around bobby but there's not much you can do when you're in a throng of people well and a person like, like anybody who was in the hotel that day had been cleared you know that's yeah. why so the kitchen porters had been checked out but i mean he was hiding the gun you know I mean, the, mm. first of all, the guy named Saran Saran, you know, he's got two first names mm. there. I w- I'd be checking his background. Um, 
I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's that story is fascinating. The whole surround sure story is fascinating because he's retracted his confession numerous times and, uh, and claims he doesn't remember anything. He was <laughs> hypnotized by the CIA, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Jesus, you know? yeah, they um, mm. it's 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 kind of bad. Like it's, it's dark humor again, creeping into my soul. But um, my favorite, like mm. you know, when like somebody asks like a a, a kind of a a straightforward oh, what's it called an obvious question and somebody says does a bear shit in the woods does the pope shit is the pope catholic you know that kind of response um the best one i ever heard is does rose kennedy have a black dress oh wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> does she have just the one black dress yeah there you go but somebody said it to me before and i was like what and then i it kind of clicked with me yeah um but um, we go across the world now to the now defunct Czechoslovakia. Um, Alexander Dubek brings change to the country, exposing corruption, removing censorship from the press and TV, and it would be dubbed the Prague Spring. And it looks like things could be on the up for the Eastern European country as we get scenes of millions signing up for the change in what looks like the easiest way to ever interfere in any sort of change because people are just signing random bits of paper like a gust of wind could derail a democracy <laughs> yeah well the 68 prague spring is which kind of it's kind of been a little bit overlooked over time because of obviously 1980 the events of 1989 when the berlin wall fell and everything but the poor old czechs they they tried it in 68 you know, and yeah. the Soviets tolerated it for a while, as you can see in the clips there. They actually briefly pretty much won. Um, and the Soviets were waiting and waiting for the Czech government to clamp down, and they just didn't. Yeah. Um, so if the Soviets had not invaded, you now the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia pretty much would have joined um, the Western nations in 68. And that's, that's obviously why the Soviets eventually invaded, because they realized there would be a domino effect. Yeah, you know, let them go. Yeah, the, the one thing really in the years doesn't do great is actually explain like the the times between these events. So to me, it just mm. looked as though all these people signing this bit of paper and declaring themselves free, and then the Soviets went right. Brain, you get go on, yep. Um, but yeah, like they like they walked to, to to Moscow and kind of presented them with these millions of signatures, and they yeah. were like, oh thanks, yeah, that's great, that's great. We'll look into that, and then immediately <laughs> sent yeah. you know a, a convoy of tanks to cr- to literally. Really crush the yeah. uh, spirits of uh, and bodies in some cases of the uh, of most, poor Czechs. Most so the, Czechs were, the, the Czechs were really unlucky. Unlucky. Obviously, every country in Europe was unlucky in World War Two. It was pretty nasty for every country. But when obviously the, the way that the line was drawn down Europe, you know, in forty five, was pretty much where the Soviet armies finished and where the American armies finished, and they just drew, drew a line, right? So oh. there was a big rush for Czechoslovakia between the Americans and the Russians to see who could get it. But as far as I know, the Americans actually got into Prague first. But because of a very convoluted negotiation process, they actually handed it back to the Soviets. So it kind of should have been in the West all along. And that, that, that resentment in the Czech people never went away. You know? And Austria, believe it or not, Austria was almost in the Soviet sphere um so oh. they could have they could have ended up behind the, the iron curtain in austria in lovely little liberal austria very very close came, they came to it the soviet union uh, stalin really wanted vienna but eventually americans said no no please you're not having vienna you know. just, just ask nicely yeah <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, that th- th- this is also the year um, back home, I suppose. This is also the year of the Viscount disaster. Uh, no, not a shortage of minty flavored biscuits, <laughs> um, but a flight from Cork to London crashes. By the way, Viscount biscuits are gorgeous. Um, yeah. Uh, the, uh, a flight from Cork to London crashes into the Irish Sea, um, leading to the death of 61 people. Um, now, it's, I didn't know this until I saw this. It's tradition, um, apparently, that when a flight crashes, um, they discontinue the flight number um, of that plane. Mm. But if you go from Cork to London now, you're still on the same flight number. You're on flight number 712. So there you go. They just, uh, they just kept it. If you're flying... <clears throat> From Cork to London, it's seven one two. Yeah, flight number seven one two. Oh, I thought every flight has a unique number. No. Well, when I looked it up, it said that um, that this was this was the first case of after a crash, the the, the flight number continuing. Yeah. Um, now I know some flights do have like it could be like a you know sixty four yeah. or whatever. Um, but I guess maybe it's just the the number of the flight path as opposed to the yeah. flight itself, possibly. I don't know. I must look into it again. Um yeah. and uh, yeah over in uh, across the world and geez we really are bouncing across the world in this episode. Um over in Biafra, uh, now known as Nigeria. Um well a part of Nigeria. It's complicated. Yeah. Um, hundreds <laughs> of thousands die as a result of famine and war, and the opposition leader uh, appeals for help from Britain uh, and the US to bring peace to the country, basically saying, well, one of these lads needs to step in. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's like the first national, I suppose, international scenery of like, shit's getting really bad in Africa. You know? Yeah, it was one of the first times we got, because it was obviously a big famine because the war went on so long, and the, the Nigerian government blockaded basically Biafra, which is quite a large, about the size of Ireland, basically a small province in Nigeria. They, they basically blockaded the entire province and eventually led to famine. And those images were seen for the first time yeah. uh, in the West. We'd never seen starving children, well, apart from obviously the Holocaust uh, 20 years earlier. Yeah. But we hadn't quite seen those scenes that we've all now become totally familiar with over the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's 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 yeah. It's that it's that it's again just just like Vietnam. It's 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 that vista of people really these conflicts being piped now into people's homes. People who own mm. TVs, obviously at the time, but like you know, more and more people are are now seeing uh, seeing the the world for what it is in terms of these kind of conflicts. You know, it's uh, and it's that's why these these. These archive clips are so important as well to kind of show you the history of yeah. uh, of, of how people woke up to see these kind of things and how that may have accelerated the uh, the, the protests I mean, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you asked me to be on the show for 1968 because um, 68 is probably the most eventful year of the 60s, uh, or of, oh, of yeah. maybe of maybe the entire century, apart from well, from 1950 onwards. It's probably the most eventful year because so many things were happening. Like society was completely transforming uh, from fashion to music to politics. The feminist movement was rising up. Even the Biafra incident, that kind of fueled the kind of need for the West to reform, as in how can we allow countries to be, how can we allow millions to starve in 1968? We're we're sending men to the moon, you know, for billions of dollars. It makes no sense. So the whole idea of capitalism was being challenged. Um, on a massive scale and it still is <laughs> yeah well but in 16 in 68 people really thought 
I mean, it really was close in Paris. Uh, we want the Paris in a bit. Like it, it was, all, we were almost on the tipping point of major revolutions in the, in the Western capitalist countries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and speaking of capitalist countries, uh, watch out, Olympic Games! A gigantic Brendan O'Reilly is towering over you. Um, over the Mexico- <laughs> this giant Brendan O'Reilly will enslave us all. <laughs> Um, over to Mexico for the Olympic Games, um, as it's described as headlines and heartache. Uh, the Games were held at an altitude of 7,000 feet, which would play a big part, of course, in the oxygen intakes. The higher up you go, the thinner the air. Um, however, it doesn't stop Britain storming through with a gold and a bronze in the 400 men's hurdles. Um like there's not really not much to comment on the Olympics itself. Nothing really major happening around it. However, we also see some innovation this year as Dick Fosbury brings his now coined Fosbury flop to the high jump. Um, before the tactic mm. was like to run at it, like you're just trying to hop a wall and go because you just see shots of lads just like right, fuck it. It's it's mad that that was the way they all did it, and then yeah. like this guy just comes along and goes, lads, you've never just thought of jumping like. Back first, and I guess you know people probably looked at him and goes, "Yeah, because that's fucking insane. Like you're gonna break your neck." But like you know, he's like, "Well, there's a mattress on the other side. It's grand." Yeah, and uh, you know, there you go. And he like now, now they all do it. So you want to want to find an innovator? There's there's one in. uh, You you wouldn't you wouldn't try to like you literally wouldn't try to hop hop a wall like that. Do you know what I mean? You'd like you'd absolutely fucking brain yourself on the ground. Yeah, you know. Um, no, yeah, I mean that's amazing. That's I mean I learned I, that's one thing I learned from watching that particular this episode. I did not know about the Fosby flop flip, yeah, um, and how that it, it changed everything. Um, I wonder how long, for how many years afterwards, did other jumpers um, hold on to the old style? You know, yeah. how long did it go on for? Um, I doubt they all changed overnight. Yeah, you know. that's a good one. But I'd love to see more innovation in the Olympics. Like, mm-hmm. what if some guy comes along for like the hurdles and is like, "Hey, instead of fucking going over, why don't I just go under?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like army crawling underneath. Army it. crawling underneath. Yeah, while you're yeah. all while you're all banging your bollocks like off these roadblocks, I'm just gonna. Go, <laughs> or you know, what? I'm just gonna go around. <laughs> That'll yeah. make for a make for a, or like if or just did a, did a high jump on stilts. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just fall off the stilts, or the guy does, Yeah, the guy doing the pole vault, he just rests it up against the bar and climbs up it. I mean, why not? Or like a, the ten, the ten thousand meters, to make you just decide to start. Why bother? Yeah, like, why bother to sit down and have a have a bag of crisps? Like ten thousand meters, you want us to run around yeah. around like, like hamsters in a wheel? Yeah, fuck that. Um, And we also get a shot of Bob Beeman as he breaks the world record for the long jump. So he he jumps a staggering 29 feet, two and a half inches. Um, So for reference, Mm. because I I literally had to Google things that are 29 feet. Because I I was like, okay, that's like a lot of me. Um, But for reference, (laughs) that's just a short of an American school bus. So, you know, those bigger, yeah. those, yeah, those, those big ones. Um, whereas the previous record was the special bus length. Um, but if you're, uh, yeah, so the big yellow ones, the big yellow ones, exactly. Mm. So 29 feet. That's like, that is incredible. When you Googled it, when you had a look at it, Kieran, were Bob Beeman's legs in there um, for things that are 29 feet? The guy is just huge. Like he's so <laughs> tall and eggy. Like he's just legs for days. Like, yeah. but, uh, it's it's an amazing, like it's just to see that. Yeah. Um, 
jump. Like it was two. Like it was two. It was two feet longer than the previous record. Yeah, that's yeah. Like two inches or two centimeters. No, two feet. Two feet is miles. Like yeah. for a new record, there, there has to be some criteria. I mean, like with basketball, it just seems mm. to be a circus these days because it's like it's no longer about who can play the best basketball. It's it really it's. Right, who's got like the tallest? Because I mean, realistically, basketball is not the most physically commanding sport, and you can teach somebody who's extraordinarily tall to play basketball. Um, like that guy Yao Yao Ming or um, or that Russian guy's name I can't think of, but these guys are like born basically, and then it, it, a couple of years later they're like they're reaching like seven foot at the age of fourteen, and you know you, you get them to play basketball because you can't. You know, you can play somebody who's tall to play, teach somebody who's tall to play basketball, but you can't teach somebody who plays basketball to be tall. Um, no. You know, whereas with this, surely the best method of getting yourself a record, even with the high jump that we just saw, find somebody who is slender, but is also like eight foot tall with legs that are four foot tall and then just get them to do that. Because, I mean, then, then you're just going to be breaking records all over the shop. So there must be some regulation as in your legs can only be a certain length because you're right this beam chap is literally a beam mm. yeah no but the, 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 i mean like i think that record stood for about 20 years i think afterwards god it was such a freakishly long jump i, I don't i don't think like he wasn't doing that every week he didn't he not only ever i don't think he ever jumped that far again it was just, just one of those perfect um, um, yeah, atmospheric conditions, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he had his big that morning. I don't know. Yeah, there was low gravity uh, yeah. in the mountains of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the zero gravity cheating. Well, he's already 7,000 feet up, so he just you know, he jumped a bit higher and uh, and managed to get uh, get out of uh, the earth's atmosphere for a while. And just yeah, this, this was actually on a, on a on the side of the mountain, this was downhill. Yeah. <laughs> he jumped 29 feet downhill, he shattered his ankles. Um, and <laughs> after winning silver and gold in the men's 200 meters. Tommy Smith and John Carlos give the black power salute and are immediately suspended uh, for from the Olympic team for their political statement. And I'm right saying as well, I think I copped it in the clip. They're wearing black gloves. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they are. So they're they're like the gloves, I think, of the, the Black Panthers. Yeah, I thought that. You, yeah. What you'll notice there, right, is they each had a pair, but they're actually wearing um, I think I, don't, I think Tommy Smith is wearing one on his right hand and John Carlos is wearing one on the left. And the reason is that one of them, um, I can't remember which one, it might have been John Carlos, forgot his gloves, left them back in the hotel or back oh. at the Olympic Village. So um, they were job. like, they were like getting on the podium and being like, shit, I forgot my gloves. Like, what are we going to do? And Peter Norman, who's the Australian guy who came second and is standing in the front of these three, of these three yeah. as they stand up for the, Olympi- uh, for the anthems, suggested why don't you wear the, the left one on your left hand? And, you know, because you're going to give the salutes. Oh. That's why they're giving uh, salutes with opposite hands. But that makes total so the guy, story. sorry, the guy, what do you say? He's Australian. Yeah, yeah. the, the, the yeah. guy who comes second who's, who's at the front yeah. of the I've always years. wanted, that's, that's good. That's interesting because I've always, I've seen that, you know, I've seen that clip a million times, but I've always wondered what's, what's the white guy thinking? Exactly what's happening there? Is well, he aware of what's happening just behind him? He, he is. So his story is fascinating, yeah. right? Because he, he was aware of it. I, I don't know how aware, yeah. obviously, I'm not sure. I'm sure they didn't discuss it with him, not knowing that he was going to be one of the three, you know, mm. that kind of way. But I think in, as they were waiting at the podium, he's wearing a badge. In support of uh, the Olympic project for human rights, um, so that's uh, that's on his on his. Oh, they're all actually oh. wearing it. You can see you see it on their lapels there, um, in the clip. And and they told him, I think, as they were waiting, as they were waiting, and they asked, um, they asked him, you know, did you believe in the cause? And 
um, you know, they they were taken yeah. aback by his response, which was totally supportive of them. Um, obviously, as a as a white man, as I said, he suggested that they share the gloves. Um, and then when he came back to Australia, he was treated as a pariah, and um, for really? supporting these guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he <clears throat> he he ran um good enough times to make the Olympics four years later in '72, but was not sent. He was not selected for the team. Wow. And, he maintained and his family maintained that that was a, a, a direct result of him having supported these guys. So it's, um, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a mad story. And, and he died before it was one of these things. He, he, he didn't die early. I mean, he died in 2006, I think. So he was probably in his, in his, in his sixties, maybe his fifties, late fifties, early sixties. Um, and it was only after that, that actually in Australia, they, they started to honor him. He wasn't invited to the, the Sydney Olympics in 2000 when so many other um, wow. medal winners had been. So he was really, uh, he was really blacklisted after God. this. He really was ostracized for that. My God, because I was about to comment on how awkward he looks like, as in he does not want to be there. And I thought he was just going to be like some Soviet guy who was like, what is happening? Um, but no, Jesus, I didn't realize he was that uh, he was that involved in it. But yeah, and uh, yeah, because he does look at and like I'd say to people watching at home, they're probably like, God, that guy's like hating every minute of this, you know. But yeah, it's mad when you actually read a story how um, yeah. how uh, how how supportive he was of it you know well yeah, isn't it strange isn't it strange how what they say history doesn't repeat but it, it rhymes that's what they say so isn't it strange how similar what's happening with kaepernick and so i remember kaepernick yeah. the nfl player who's still i think suspended from his club or is he he got released he and he hasn't been he's not, no yeah. one will sign him even though like yeah. they're signing far inferior players to play in his wow. position no but even though he is the pioneer he is the guy who started the whole um, kneeling yeah. protest which the whole world does now it premiership footballers do it every match now yeah you know yeah. and yet the guy who started it is still ostracized yeah, no, that's that's that is yeah. Do you know what? that's that's more. But it's it's mad looking back at the I suppose the Black Panther movement in particular because uh, I did not know this, but you know who was kind of an honorary member of the Black Panthers was the farmer from Babe. Huh? Yeah, you know what's I don't know. I can't remember his name. What's oh, yeah. head? James Cromwell. James Cromwell. Yeah, yeah, he is like apparently he was heavily heavily involved in the Black Panther movement back in the day. What? Yeah, he was. I, the only reason I remember this is because he was on the Late Late Show and he was talking about it. And mm -hmm. yeah, and I've Googled it since and there is, uh, yeah, he, he was quite a sympathizer, but they use the term sympathizer as in he was he was there. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, after that, we get a, a yet another ad for lovely fags. Um, as we're told, <laughs> if you want a quality if you want a quality cigarette smoke woodbine i mean we discussed it the last time fags were uh fags were advertised and it just blows my mind that it was still allowed you know that it was just like talking about how quality this cigarette is quality virginia tobacco virginian tobacco yeah it's mm. um yeah, it's just it's just nuts that like even you know a vet, what was it we said the last time the darts wasn't it was sponsored by um oh god was it the dart, Simon? Who said the darts? Were the, the, um, that was it. Or the snooker? There was yeah. yeah. There was two. There was the darts and the snooker. I think yeah. they were both sponsored. Yeah, because Embassy is a cigarette company, is it? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and they yeah. they had the snooker for a long time. But yeah, and and Benson Hedges and even F One Formula One. Like there was, yeah. there was Marlboro were definitely sponsored. Um, 
somebody I'm no I don't know, no expert, but I remember growing up watching Formula One in, in the nineties and early two thousands, and they definitely had cigarette sponsorship for a long time. And yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's just very jarring. I think you know just to see it because now you don't even see you can't even like you don't even see the the, the pictures on the you no. know behind the shopkeeper when you go in to get your, you know if you go in to get your uh, get your bags you know um it's just uh, it's gone it's gone completely the opposite way obviously like totally. But I mean, Woodbines <clears throat> were probably the only cigarette that had its own like kind of um. Descriptive, um, well, basically, uh, if you were, if you had a woodbine voice, um, I'm not sure if this was beyond Waterford. I maybe mean, if it's just a Waterford thing, but basically, even me growing up in the '80s and stuff, um, people would remark on certain people's voices, as in, oh, she has a woodbine voice, or he has a woodbine voice, like a and a woodbine voice is well here and how you do. Okay, yeah, that's that's male or female because they could literally sound like that either way. If oh, they've been lifelong smokers, I, I, <laughs> and you know, yeah. woodbines were so strong. Apparently, I remember maybe my grandmother told us that it's just extremely strong. It's like dragon on less pure tar. Anyway, I, I don't know if woodbine even exists anymore. I hope they won't sue me. Um, <laughs> They're not in a position to sue anybody. <laughs> <laughs> None of the cigarette companies are. Um, and actually straight after this this is a first actually for us we get three ads in one show um, cheers for chivers as a tubby little fellow surrounded by cakes exclaims oh I like jelly and that's it <laughs> Just for it's sport. so funny right this is it's literally a small child saying he likes jelly and uh, that's it that's, that's it. the ad I'm just imagining a Don Draper style pitch, you know, and just kind of like they're all they've all had a load of drink at lunch and it's, yeah. in and it's gone now. We got to we have to pitch to the Chivers guys uh, this afternoon. Um, you know, John Draper in Dublin's um, advertising office, <laughs> and he goes, you know, he's like, okay, okay, hold on one second, one second, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> Small child mm. likes Jen. Mm, I love Chivers. That's it. That's the yeah, end. That's and everyone it. claps, you know, as genius and uh, Harry Crane runs out of the room wiping a tear from his mm. eye. And it's just it's just magical. You know, <laughs> picture, uh, like picture small boy, small, small boy likes jelly. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, when I just see him eating the the, the way he's eating the, je- the jelly, it reminded me of the scene from Father Ted where um, Owen McClough is eating the jam out of the jelly. <laughs> Dude, like, you're not supposed to eat jam before dinner. <laughs> Um, and up next, uh, speaking of just unimaginable scenes, Fina Fall calling, Fina Fall calling. Uh, Des O'Malley <laughs> takes the show on the road as his canvassing attempt in Limerick uh, is shown as he is pulled along by a tractor and trailer. Um, he's campaigning for a seat after the death of his uncle, Donna O'Malley, and he wins. He wins the election uh, for TD um, in Limerick East. Um, but yeah. I just thought that was so funny, him being pulled by yeah. that like rickety old trailer. Yeah, yeah those, like, those two like... people... Uh, sorry, Steve, those those two people that kind of get pulled up onto the trailer, uh, yeah. a man and a woman, and the woman kind of gets pulled up, and it's like they're taking their lives into their hands there, yeah. like fall under the wheels of that thing, you're gone. Like, yeah, no, 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 health and safety didn't come around about 1982, but um, basically, no, that 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 gathering I call it the the voter gathering van. It's like um, they're literally gathering up voters to make sure they go vote. It's like the child catcher, it's like the child catcher, chitty chitty bang bang, going around <laughs> gathering children, you know. Uh, it's pretty spooky stuff, all right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you'll actually notice when he's being welcomed to the doll, it's um, it's by um, and I've remembered the the politician's name now, um, uh, or his second name is Blaine. It's it's um, was it Neil Blaney who got caught up in the arms trial? Who was in the arms trial? Um, Harry Blaney. 
that's yeah is that it Harry Blaney yeah it's Blaney anyway and he's he's welcoming Desi O'Malley into the into the fold outside oh. the doll in the later <laughs> clip um, he's put his trowel down and he's just given Desi a really good politician's handshake you know yeah. one of those ones where they're just shaking hands and staring at the camera for far too long yeah. um, he's, he's, he's given him one of those so he's uh, he's obviously, one he's of obviously them. stopped his building work for the day to welcome Desi to Dublin <laughs> they just <laughs> hands on AK-47 man. yeah De- 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 <laughs> Desi definitely went away going what the fuck is on my hands oh it's just a bit of grout you'd be alright <laughs> I couldn't get the trowel to work, so I just started smearing it with my palm. Um, and yeah. in in style, as we always do, every time there's a bloody election, we get a referendum tacked onto it as well. As Fianna mm. Fall attempt rule to rule out PR voting. PR voting is proportional representation. Um, it is of course defeated, as we still use the system. So it's mm. the old it's the old one two thing, you know. So uh, the the whole. Vote number one, yeah. vote two, three, four, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. I was completely, uh, I was complete. I'm, I'm a, I'm a student of history, don't you know? But I, I have, no, I have, I knew, I knew nothing about this referendum. Mm. Um, so, and I didn't, I haven't googled it. So they were trying to do away with PR and bring back what first past post. I like, think so. Uh, like in yeah. Britain. I wow. think so. Well, I mean, the old style, yeah. That's very tricky to do in Ireland because um, it would just be Fianna Fáil in government forever. Probably well, that's true. However, that the yeah, that probably was. But if you think about it, if that was the case and it was first past the post, if we mm. still use that method, we'd have a Sinn Fein government right now. Uh, probably, um, maybe. I don't know. Did they get the highest percentage? Oh, yeah, they did. yeah, they did. I think they did. Yeah, they had Actually, a lot yeah. of first part. Yeah, they had. I mean, they had a lot of. I suppose mm. they were the first TDs elected in a lot of constituencies. So yeah, yeah they, and then they have enough. Oh yeah, uh, mm. but either way, anyway, yeah, hey. they, they, we would we would certainly have uh, they would have an even stronger hand, you know. Oh, they would totally, but I mean, I don't know how well it would have ended because you know, while the rest of the countries, Sinn Fein politicians were 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 you know gleefully accepting, our one here shat the bed by proclaiming up the ra at his own celebration party. He did. He did. Yeah. It was the one thing he should have done. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't push the button, Dougal. Don't push the red button. David, just don't say up the rat. Just don't say it. It was at that moment he knew he fucked up. And uh, up next, Down versus Kerry in the football. Derry win 212 to 113. And in the hurling, Tip versus Wexford. And Wexford win, surprisingly. They sure. Do and I, you know, it makes up for that uh, soccer match we had to sit through earlier in the episode. Yeah, it uh, does here to see my beloved Wexford hurlers um, win. Mean, There's only been two in the reading in the years era. This being the first one. Um, yeah. So it's uh, oh it's, cool. Um, Have they won recently? It's a brilliant day. There, there, there's this, and then '96, and then that's it. Yeah, uh, okay. there hasn't been one since '96. No, okay. they they bet the bollocks out of uh, out of Tipperary. To be fair, it was five eighteen to three twelve, so they kind of ran away with it towards the end. And um, but at least you get one in in the modern era. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad indictment of Waterford hurling that even in all of the reeling in the years episodes, you have not won one. Well, uh, yeah, because... we thought we won in sixty three. No, no, we won in forty seven and fifth. Oh, fifty nine was it? Fifty nine, fifty eight. Yeah, just 59. before oh, reeling in the years. One of the late fifty four. Yeah, and I think oh, I'm, of... I'm thinking my brain is obviously malfunctioning. I was thinking of the great blizzard of '63, that which has nothing to do with hurling. It was a great, there was a really nasty, um, like beast from yeah, the east in '63. There was, we covered that, yeah. And I don't know why that's linking with that. <laughs> the, <sport of> hurling. <laughs> the summer sport of hurling, but look, an apocalyptic, yeah. Is <laughs> your pages on your notes stuck together? Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, that's that's um. 
Wexford finally finally winning one and we will see them again in 30 years time um, <laughs> 28 28 28 sorry 28 yeah. yes um, and up next Tolka Row is apparently ending when did it begin and where the fuck was all this when I started producing this show <laughs> I could have done with this material after four years uh, apparently um, so they had been running this whole time and nobody said nothing the urban soap opera comes to an end. And apparently it's like a precursor to Fair City, if you yeah, will. Fair City's granddad. Yeah. yeah, where the worst thing in the world apparently is moving to Coventry. Uh, that's what I got from it. Anyway. Yeah. Fair, fair. And of the, of the three people in this on this podcast, I think I'm the only one who's written for Fair City. Wow. Which is yes. how well, everything's connected. I don't know, Simon might have written. For I have not, I've not written yet for Fair City, no. No, it's on my Kieran, list, it's written? on my to-do list. Kieran, have you written for Fair City? Uh, no, no. Um, I can <laughs> imagine Simon sending in a script, like, you know, and they're looking like, Simon, this is great and all, but every page is just Wexford winning the odds. <laughs> <laughs> or a blizzard. It's just, or, it's just Paul Brennan going in, Paul Brennan going into McCoy's and just being like, did you see Wexford won the All-Ireland? <laughs> the fifth time this year. <laughs> Yeah, and when Wexford well, aren't on screen, people should be asking when are Wexford playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I don't really know much about Talca Row, but um, no, I didn't. I didn't really know much about it at all. I know. I think it's. I think it said it was coming to the end of its four years. Yeah, it's not uh, long for a soap four years. Opera. Yeah, it's no, probably. And, I think it's probably yeah. the first soap or produced. I would have thought. Well, I was quite impressed by the clip. The clip um, was quite intense. It was like kind of like um, kitchen kitchen sink realism, like bleak. Um, BBC dramas in the 60s um, so maybe that's what it was like maybe it was just too grim uh, <laughs> even grimmer than like um, you know well Fair City is brilliant of course but um, maybe grimmer is EastEnders um, but does it um, I wonder actually out of curiosity so if that's if this is its fourth year and it's 1968 that means it started in 1964 so does that mm. out, um, does that outdate Coronation Street no actually uh, it doesn't Coronation Street was 1960 no. Yeah, 1960. Yeah. God damn it. I, uh, I, I like how the scene end. Um, there's not that many soap operas nowadays that end with a zoom into a Holy Mary statue. <laughs> That's uh, what they're missing in Coronation yeah. Street. <laughs> Cut to Holy Mary statue. Yeah, yeah. Steve, if, if you write a, a future Fair City episode, I think yeah. it should end with that. Um, uh, they won't, they will not be talking, they will not be calling me again. Believe okay. me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We're I probably... can't kind of push my sick. I kept trying to push my. I have like a, um, have a, have a drawer full of sitcom ideas. I just kept trying to pile those ideas into Fair City, and are like, Stephen, it's not a sitcom, and just please take your check and leave. <laughs> so that's, that's what kind of happened. <laughs> We're uh, probably not legally contracted to, to to discuss any further details without signing a release disclosure. <laughs> oh um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just in case Billy Mean comes back from the dead and is at my door. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so up next we get Enoch Powell and continuing the theme of ridiculous names that pop up once an episode uh, he gives us a rousing speech uh, saying we must be mad literally mad and he had me with his fine articulation and then things got very farage very quickly um, <laughs> the UK conservative talks about how letting in immigrants is like heaping up our own funeral party you what? Like, I didn't really catch what he meant there, but basically, something, something, I'm a racist. Um, so as that's you do... That's basically all it was, yeah. That's it. So as they do, all the racists headed out and took to the streets. Like, mm. eh, that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, he took, I mean, he took Enoch 
you know, Enoch is is still to this day he is um, worshipped by a lot of the people on the right in certain um, parts of the uh, the right wing movements in England and so on. They they, they see him as a prophet for what he was saying back then. Uh, but the, the, the Enoch's main beef was that all these because you know the, the British Com- Commonwealth had about you know thirty or forty countries in it, and the empire had pretty much collapsed. But the Commonwealth it continued, and one aspect of being in the Commonwealth is that you could go to England if you wanted to. You can you could go back, move back to the mother country as such, even though, you know, it wasn't their mother. And Enoch was very upset over that. He's like, even he's like, he's like, we have spent the last 300 years um, taking what we want from these countries. Yeah. And they have the audacity to now come back to our country looking for a better life. Yeah. You know, that really perturbed him. It, yeah, like uh, that, but that's just British history, like all summed up. Mm. Like they go and have a right knees up in another fucker's country, and then they get pissed <laughs> yeah. when they follow them back home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. What's and what's 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 interesting about this speech is is the support he received after it. Yeah. Um. Like yeah. there's there's I don't want to spoil the 1970 episode, but the, there's a, a a general election in the 70s in which the Conservatives sweep to power, a, a kind of a surprise victory, and it's directly attributed to Enoch Powell. Um. Yeah. And he's voted. I think there's a poll I read during the research for this, which I actually did this week here, which is which is well, very. Hey. Um, the the there was a poll in 1972 which showed him as the most popular politician in the country. But what I found most interesting about Enoch Powell is that he left the Conservatives in the <laughs> mid 70s to join the Ulster Unionists. Ah, oh, it's just yeah. surprise, surprise. So you yeah. know, oh. it's a winner for the Unionists there. You know, Cretan, that's that's a good association to have. I also think he's looking for a safe seat. Well, yeah, he, gave a, yeah. he gave a nice cushy seat. I think. Um, I think he stayed in Parliament till the the, the late nineteen eighties. I think a nice gerrymandered seat for Oli. Yep. Good, good man. Yeah, Enoch. exactly. Um, and while Britain battles itself, uh, there is very little chance of peace in Vietnam as the war rages on, and on American shores, protesters are beaten by police for staging a sit-in in Chicago. Um, so yeah, the, the, this is just kind of it'll pop up, and we just kind of give a glance at what's happening in Vietnam it should be its own little segment just what's happening in Vietnam um, and like there's not really much to say other than that the, the protests efforts are really really ramping up um, as we get scenes of people burning their draft cards uh, staging a sit-in and it just goes to show that there was really uh, I suppose particularly amongst younger people uh, a large outcry for the um, you know the, the hell no yeah. we won't go and we're not going to Vietnam we could do a Patreon-only uh, Vietnam spin-off special. They, they, you know. Look, I like your thinking. Yeah, why not? 50 quid ahead. up a Patreon already. I love it. There you go, 50, 50 <laughs> yeah. quid ahead, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, speaking of America, after five years, Lyndon Johnson steps down and we see the rise to power of Tricky Nicky. Uh, sorry, Tricky Dicky, rather. Dickie. Uh, Republican Richard Nixon takes to the stage as president. That man never drank a duff in his life. Um. Yeah, he's um. Yeah, there he is with his jowls and all. So it's the it's the start. Tricky. Uh, yeah. yeah. Isn't it incredible that he was elected in 1968 at the at the height of the of the counterculture movement and hippiedom and peace and love and liberal democracies? They they elected Richard Nixon, the silent majority at work. Well, there you go, the silent majority. Yeah. Yeah. There Maybe you have it. Well, obviously it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, um, look, it, I, it turned out well for everyone, and that's what we should take from this. 
That's apart it. from the one million Cambodians that Nixon killed in the next four yeah. years, wow. and, and and so on and so on, because he increased. He came to power promising to end the war within a year, I think, and actually he actually stepped up the war uh, for the next four years. Yeah. You mean he promised something yeah. and then went against it? Well, come yeah. on, you're no. kidding me. Not president of our Nixon, Richard Nixon. No, but his, his logic, his logic was impeccable. His logic was that if we increase the bombing, that's more likely the war will come to an end quicker. Well, and there's there's nothing left. Let's <laughs> yeah. see where he's going with it. Uh, where he's going. <laughs> more holes equals less war. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and in Paris, uh, we get a student protest as it sparks a revolution. Practically over yeah. eight million people strike. A coalition between students and workers take on Charles de Gaulle's fifth. Republic. That sounds very Star Warsy. Um, and in Star Wars fashion, <laughs> the bad guy wins uh, as De Gaulle is re-elected in a landslide. Definitely, some yeah. you know something's going on in the background there that we're not privy to. But um, well, he hey. yeah, it's good, it's a good analogy because De Gaulle pretty much is the Palpatine, Palpatine yeah. uh, of the whole French saga. Because you know he's still there. Like it's like twenty five years since World War Two, he's still there. <laughs> You know, and he is yeah. morphing into a kind of a Sith Lord, like he's unrecognizable from when the 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 goal in, in in World War Two. Yeah, um. <laughs> he he really is. The only thing I know him really for is the fact that his baggage handlers at his airport continuously go on strike. Um, <laughs> and speaking of people we should yeah. name an airport after, a young John Hume speaks and says that we should focus the energy that's been used to divide us and use it as energy to unite us as we are shown clips of Derry in uproar as a banned civil rights protest begins. Um, a man is seen appealing to police and gets struck in what appears to be the stomach or the bollocks as he proclaims, God save us. Mm. Um, this, of course, is over the mistreatment of Catholics versus the favoritism of Protestants in the county um, and the RUC charge on protesters who are clamoring all for one man, one vote. Um yeah, I, you don't really see what your man gets poked with or where, but he he takes it quite hard. I think it's a truncheon or a baton. Yeah, I looked. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine what else they'd have really on them. Yeah, it's going yeah. towards the nether regions as well, which is which is never ideal. <laughs> That's it. Man gets hit with baton in crotch. Dink. Um, and William Craig, the yeah. Minister for Home Affairs in Northern Ireland, says he can't find any evidence to support the charges made against the police for their actions. Uh, we've fucking seen you. Um, <laughs> loyalists try to get these marches banned by staging a march at the same time. Um, because, you know, that's the best way to eliminate protests is with a protest, uh, counteracting. Um, and the Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, Captain Terence O'Neill, says Ulster, Ulster stands at a crossroads as the actions in the next few weeks will decide the future of Northern Ireland. Um, limited reforms are approved and concessions are being made regarding housing and policing, but reforms stop just short of one man, one vote. Um, so, you know, it's still very favoritism. And actually, at the end of this segment, a Protestant man declares that they are the ones being discriminated against. And that's it. He leaves it there. And I'm sitting here going, uh, evidence, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like he just throws it out there. Just like, I, well, I think we're the most we're the ones who are discriminated against. And the guy, the reporter just kind of goes, and you're. You're a Protestant, right? Yeah. He's like, I am. I am a Protestant. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. I don't. I don't think anyone believes you. No, I was waiting for him to say, "Do your own research." <laughs> you know, the, yeah. 
He's like, where's well, it's just the whole. It's it's the kind of it's the whole um, thing about victimhood, you know. Ireland's very yeah. good. North Anstey at, at at wallowing in victimhood. So he was having a victimhood day. That guy, whoever he was, victimhood day. Yeah, the big uh, yeah. the whole thing of whataboutism. Mm-hmm. Um, and Big E. But it's kind of it is kind of sad. What's sad about those those images from '68 is how innocent it all was. Because in well, in, in one sense, because obviously the Catholics were still keeping things peaceful at that moment. Um, the IRA hadn't really emerged in 68. They were there, but they hadn't really started violence as such. So, yeah. and John Hume, it's interesting to see John Hume, who I think is one of Ireland's greatest heroes. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. He was trying to keep a lid on everything, you know, and he was saying large peaceful uh, protests is the way to go, like in other parts of the world, you know, like the Martin Luther King was a big influence on him, you know, and, and, I, and what's, Knowing all the horror that was to come in the next 30 years, it's just kind of sad that, I don't know, they couldn't keep that movement going, um, the peaceful movement anyway, you know, yeah. because everything just got very much worse. Yeah, and even though John Hume stayed around through it all. Um, he we're lucky he did. We're, we're very lucky he did stay around because he was still keeping a lid on it, even during the violence. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse without John. True, One true. person who was not keeping a lid on it is Biggie and Paisley oh, roaring into <laughs> the microphone as the reporter gets covered in his spit, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, he's kind of this small. Obviously, he is a big man, Ian Paisley, but he's towering over this reporter. And again, this weird 60s, maybe Steve, I don't know, do you know why? But these, they all, all the reporters, when they're interviewing people, seem to hold the microphone somewhere around their belly button. Um, and this microphone is kind of jumped into Big Ian's belly and he's roaring into it about the forces of anarchy and popery and republicanism and, and <laughs> Uh, all of these terrible things. Popery was a great popery. Like that's yeah. not a word. I was like, popery is like smelly shit that <laughs> smelly dry flowers. Girlfriend jar. puts at the corner of the room. Like oh, it is not a. Yeah. Uh, it is you know. But, but I'm not sure there is a word. I think papery might be the word he's he's, he's <laughs> referring to. But anyway, far be it for me to question Big Ian. But uh, he really was. Uh, he really was the antithesis of. Uh, I love well, it. I, think, I think the poor reporter is frightened. He'll actually just bite the microphone out. Yeah. And, you know. I, so I hold it down low. Ulster says no to flowery smells, to dried flowers. It's quite Trumpian. If you think about it now, uh, Paisley was quite Trumpian in in his inflammatory language about everything, really. Yeah, you know. to us. Yeah, was, maybe yeah. maybe he's a hero of Donald Trump. I mean, he could be. Apparently, yeah. Ulster is going to be huge, huge. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he calls out the captain, saying that loyalists will do what they need to, as their fathers did, and resist. Um, and like he's by force, by force, if necessary. It's necessary. Yeah, yeah Yes, if force yeah. is used against us, we will reply with force. Um, yeah, mm. I'm like, I, you're not the oppressed here, Biggie. No, like, you're just not. You know. Yeah. Uh, so please go he's away stopped. with this. Yeah, he's he, but he, he's the kind of guy who like he he shouts his point across. Like he's he's well spoken, and then when somebody asks him a question. Then he gets flustered. It's like he's learned his lines, but anything outside of that, he just does not know. Because your man is like, you know, he's like, you know, oh, we need to, we're the, we're the oppressed uh, and we need to do as our fathers did and resist. And your man is like, oh, what do you mean by force? But, you know, yeah, I was waiting for him to go, but you know what? Yeah, just, just, just but you can feck off. <laughs> It is. That's actually another way he's very like Trump, I suppose. Trump was something mm. similar where he knew he knew what what he wanted to say, and often it was obviously completely off the wall. But uh, if he was questioned mm. on it, which he was obviously frequently, uh, yeah. his replies tended to lack a bit of uh, um, 
uh, the same clarity. <laughs> yeah, he was. All, he was. All, he was also. A, he was also a terrible golfer. Terrible Basically. golfer. <laughs> yeah, Trump is a terrible golfer. No, oh, I thought no, he meant Ian Paisley. But, um, um, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm imagining Ian Paisley in the Trumpian golf outfit that Trump packed into that white T-shirt and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I have no. I have no evidence that Paisley was a golfer, or bad or good. Yeah, so he always popped into my head. Well, he was a Protestant, so I mean, there's that. Yeah, yeah. He had access to good courses, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he probably got everything in par two because we could never be one. Um, <laughs> but uh, after that, then we get a shot of a fine chorus of people singing hymns, which I've absolutely no idea what they were singing, but hey, they sounded lovely. Um, and after that, we then, should overcome. Is that what they were singing? Yeah, Interesting. We, yeah, shall, we overcome. shall overcome. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. I just uh, I kind of tuned it out a bit because it just seemed to go on forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, after that, Jimmy Glynn, local Jimmy Glynn, uh, with advice to bachelors, he says, "Go out and spend a few bob on the women because they're worth it." Um, as we're getting told, I love that, Jimmy. Yeah. In the great. I love Jimmy. Go out and spend a few bob on the women. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy, yeah. he's just got this cheeky grin of someone who has done it and has been successful and has snagged himself a wife. He he's has changed to, he's changed to the cooker in the kitchen, yeah, uh, making him the air and soup. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. previous episodes, good old Jimmy, he looks delighted with life. He does. He now, nowadays, you'd say, Go out and split the bill. Right. <laughs> yeah. She'll love that. Try and offer, but don't offer too hard. And if, if you know, maybe yeah. just, and, or maybe just don't pay separately. Revolute the money after or something. <laughs> you know, just, we'll work it out. We'll work yeah. it out between us. Um, and then, yeah. And then forget, you know, forget to revolute. And then when you wake up beside a stranger in the bed the next morning, you have to nudge them to ask them to revolute you the money back so you can get a taxi. Um, but um, oh. there are. Uh, I, I, see you've, I can see you've done that. Kieran, that's very detailed. <laughs> well, you know what? I've been with my wife longer than Revolut has been around, so I'm hoping she doesn't hear this. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> delete that. Delete, delete that. Delete, delete that. Um, but marriage rates are at an all-time low in the West. There are too many single men in rural Ireland. Mm. Um, but the, the Father Michael Keane states that the problem is there's too many women in Dublin and, and not ah. enough back home. That's what the problem is. Right. Uh, get so their notions. Notions. So basically, nothing has changed in the last fifty years. Then that's yeah. exactly the way it is now. P- pretty much, yeah. To yeah, me. and I mean, who? What woman wouldn't want to live in an isolated rural <laughs> farmhouse, cleaning up after her husband, with a good chance that there's no running water based on previous Actually, that we've yeah. seen. Um, you know, yeah. and, and it's, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, you're not, they're not selling it to me here. Like they're not selling why, why any of these women would stay in these rural places, especially because, uh, and in a, in, in a, a new edition or a new, um, uh, the latest entry in the reeling in the years bingo uh, slot here um, is a priest speaking as an authority on relationships. Yeah. Um, I think they have yeah. absolutely no experience of, or, shouldn't have any experience yeah. of uh, but speaking as an absolute authority and like just kind of sitting there lord of all he survey surveys father michael Keane as he opines that uh, these women should be coming should be staying in the west yeah. um you know and that there's not enough women and i would imagine he thinks it's the women's fault <laughs> it has to of be. course 
has to be blame them exactly all. yeah um but what they should have done was gone to listun verna as we're back for a mm. second week in listun verna um a man states that he's come for the crack and to meet a few girls and but the way he phrases it he's not very well spoken because he says i sure have come for the crack and meet a few girls i like dancing that <laughs> that seems so random i was waiting <laughs> He was like your, he was like that little kid in, in the viral video from years ago. I like turtles. <laughs> he, was, he was right in there, just I like dancing. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's clearly it's back to this uh, trend we've seen in these early episodes of Reading in the Years of people just not being comfortable with being vox popped, you know, and just not just still not being comfortable with the camera shoved in their face in the sixties. And like mm. just he just it's like it's like he panicked. He's like I don't know what to say, and he just said I like dancing, and it was just kind of like you know it's kind of like the, the poor guy. <laughs> But yeah, like and just had to throw it in there. Like it's like he's written on his hand, you know, the, the points to get across. And he's like, crack, meet a few women, like <laughs> dancing. Make them feel comfortable. <laughs> the father, yeah. What's the father doing a list? Make them feel comfortable. Um I can't remember now. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's uh, got it, he's got it all written on his hand. Do you, do you want to take a bra off? <laughs> and no 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 mention of drinking 15 points of Guinness every night. Yeah, he, he doesn't use that unless, unless that's the crack bit. I don't know. Well, that, that's, yeah, that's, that's encompassed in the euphemism of. Yeah, that's like he's probably a raging alcoholic. Ah, he's, he's a bit of crack. But his yeah, fifteen his, points crack his, unlocked. His problem is he he's he's come on the wrong year because last year we got a shot of list in Verna at a very forward woman who was like, you know, oh, sure, I'm here to see what's going on and to meet all the men. Whereas like, yeah. <laughs> this fellow was like, I like dancing. He's like, go ahead and dance with him. Put the two of you together. There you go. Happy days. So every episode of Reeling in the Years has a list in Varna. It seems to it in the late 60s to. anyway. They must have had, um, they must have had a list in Varna, ep- like a, 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 I don't know, a, 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 the equivalent of primetime, like, you know, investigation is a list in wow. Varna a couple of years in a row because there's a lot of archive footage of it well wait till you get the Christy Moore years I mean yeah. surely it's going to be him singing with clips of Liston Varna Festival well there, yeah there he, he pops up a few times he does mm. he does we're, we're, we're getting to that stage alright um, and in our la- um, in our last segment John B. Keane practically addresses it uh, as a national crisis the fact that they're not getting married and there's too many women and because i mean if all else fails send in the priest if that fails send in john b keen um yeah, he's like this is the same about the emigration a couple of oh, years ago he's he's a real downer john b keen he is shit crack like he definitely got <laughs> nothing in out of listo and barna he, and he's down in listo that's where he's based in that yeah. Listowel, I believe, where his pub is now. Well, he had a pub then as well. But his son, his son runs the pub now. Yeah, he um, didn't even go to Listowel, Varna. Yeah, he, he got yeah. lost and went to Listowel. He wouldn't have been a single man. He would have been a married man then. I think. Well, I'm not quite sure he's getting upset over the whole thing. <laughs> he's probably getting so he's probably so <laughs> down about things because he's fucking married. <laughs> really did he write the play? You're did he write the play? To this. <laughs> did he write the play, The Matchmaker, um, which might be loosely based on? Oh, it could be. Oh, that, maybe that's the connection. Yeah, ah, maybe that's where they got him. I to could be wrong, him. though. Yeah. yeah. No, let's just you know what in this show, Steve, we're just going to yeah. say you're right because no one's going to research. No it, one's so. going to research. I'm trying to remember anyway, my. Yeah. I'm trying to remember my, my, my junior cert um, English studies here yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> I, I'd like to think of it as as opposed to RTE executives going right. We've got a segment on this doing Varna. And someone saying, "Hey, John B. Keane's got a play kind of based around this demand. Get him to speak." Mm. I, yeah. I, I, I reject that narrative and substitute it with my own reality that they went in 
to in a rush to uh, the canteen in RTE and said, hey, uh, we, look, we've got this segment on Listen to Inverna, but like uh, Gabe Byrne's busy, so we don't have anybody to speak about it. Is there anyone here who's free and can speak about how horrible this is? And John B. Keane at the back goes, me. I'm, I'm terribly depressing. <laughs> All right, go on, get on. You know, John okay. B., it's more of an upbeat kind of thing we're looking for here. And he's like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I can be upbeat and terrible. <laughs> Um, and uh, with that, we are out. Uh, we are done for the evening. Now, before we go, um, I, I didn't prep you on this, Steve, so we're going to blindside you with it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, this little segment we like to do at the end of the show, uh, if you could have any three people from the show that we've reviewed come to your house for dinner, you're hosting a dinner party, you get to pick any three people from this episode, yeah. who do you invite? <laughs> Well now, well now, that's an eclectic bunch of people. Um, I definitely have John Hume over. I'll have oh, yeah. John over. I have um, Jackie Onassis because uh, she's nice. Um, I, I love, to, yeah, I love to have a chat with Jackie, uh, especially nineteen sixty-eight Jackie. I love Jackie in the late sixties. She looked so hip and cool. Um, and the third person, eh, no, I wouldn't have George Best because he's from Northern Ireland. I don't, I don't want two people from Northern Ireland. Um, I mean, I want, I want some some of the drink for myself. Um, so that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, let me think. Who else? Oh, I'd have I'd have probably um, Paul McCartney over. Ah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I need to chose the Beatles. Safe, yeah. safe bet there. Yeah, I'm yeah. on I'm on Team Paul. I'm on Team Paul for the Beatles. Yeah, fair play, Simon. Who's yeah, you your guests? Um, yeah, so I, I I'll agree with Steve. I would I would definitely have John Hume. Um, Steve said he's a, he's a national hero, and he absolutely is. I think we all agree. He, he's uh, he, I would have I'd love to 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 have met him or chatted to him or whatever. And uh, particularly early John Hume, like that 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 he was so idealistic in, in this time, and as you, as as you said, Steve, so influenced mm-hmm. by Martin Luther King, and I and I'm sure you know what transpired obviously was not was not what he what he what he env- had envisaged. Um, but like yeah, I, I'd love to meet. Young John Hume that we saw in this episode, and and and, and mm. get to know his uh, his his beliefs at the time. So he's definitely in. Um, now I, the other guests I would have would would be would be more of the uh, the, the the funny variety. So I'm going to invite Jimmy Glynn, who's the guy, the first guy you saw talking about this in Barna, the guy yeah. who said spend a bit of money on the women, because um, he seems like fierce crack, <laughs> and I just I just I love people like that, um, and he just seems like he's just. Uh, a barrel laugh so I'll bring Jimmy and then I was I was trying to think and like it's not there's not a huge amount of like exciting but there's a lot of dull people in this episode like I mean there's Captain O'Neill who's like the world's most boring pirate um, <laughs> you know, uh, and I thought maybe obviously you know I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be too keen on bringing like Richard Nixon or Enoch Powell uh, or any of those, any of no. those guys. So um, what, what, what I've done, and then I thought maybe Cliff Richard and his Austin Powers thing, but I'm, you know, again, not a big, not a big Cliff Richards fan, Cliff Richard fan. So what I've done is um, I've invited the Chivers Jelly Kid um, because I figure he had a table full of dessert. Um, so he could definitely bring some of those desserts, um, and then we'd kick him out. You know, we'd like we just tell him to go play at the back, and then me and John Hume, and Jim, me and me and John Hume and Jimmy Glynn would eat all the desserts that he brought. Uh, so that's that's, you're, that's you're, what kind of a person are you, Simon? You're you're inviting a child over to rob his jelly. Well, it was the sixties, um, Steve. You know, so children were to be seen and not heard, and okay. you know, I uh, I'm going to follow that to the letter of the law, and we're going to and like you know, there was no no worries about safety uh, of children in the sixties as we saw. In the episode with uh, Myra Hindley and 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 uh, and her fellow, yeah. Me. Um. So yeah, we just put him at the back, um, and let him play, and you know, um, having stole their jelly, 
yeah. absolutely oh, I mean, food, that's, yeah. that's the non-negotiable yeah. in this he has to bring the jelly and we then have to liberate the jelly from him or okay. else uh, the or jelly. else there's just no point no point in inviting um and i can't remember his name and they say his name in the ad and i haven't written it down but uh there's no point in inviting the shivers jelly kid if he doesn't bring the jelly little timmy is his name little timmy it, it, yeah little with... tim Toby Timmy, we'll go with him. Um, yeah, uh, so we're inviting him, but he's not allowed to eat any of the food. Well, we might give him like a spoon of jelly or so. I don't know. We'll give him. Maybe we'll just give him a woodbine and send him out. <laughs> Smoking a fag out the back. Um, no, I love, I love your logic, and uh, I have to say, I've also put down Toby from Chivers, um, just because. I, I just want to see how much jelly the fat little shit can eat. Um, I've also gone. You're going for, for the force feeding him. I've got to go uh, for the force feeding. That's like. the opposite end of my dinner party. Okay, at least he'll get fed. That's good. At least he'll get fed. Yeah, and he's not just out the back in the shivering cold. Like, <laughs> he's smoking a wood boy and going, I'd, really, wood I'd like to come in now. Um, and and a Phoenix beer. <laughs> yeah, I'd actually invite uh, Des O'Malley just for a spin on the Fina Fall mobile. I think that'd be fierce crack driving around the neighborhood. Um, and then I'd pick Dancing Man from Listoon Barna just just cause just cause he, he seems like he'd be good crack just dancing around the place I'd imagine that he would um, interrupt every con- every conversation with I like dancing um, <laughs> kind of like Rick Tamlin from Anchorman um, you know just <laughs> He's so like brick. He is actually just I I love I love desk. I love I like I love lamp. <laughs> but that would be uh that'll be my my dinner guest. And speaking of a table for three, with that being said, we are at the end of our tour of 1968. So, gentlemen, I have had quite the evening now discussing 1968. I really hope that you have enjoyed yourselves. Um now, so what I will say is we will be back next week. Uh, um, and I want to say a very special thank you to Mr. Simon Chadwick for being my co-host for this evening. So thank you as nice always, you. Simon. And um, to our very special guest um, this evening, we will certainly have you back in the future, if you will allow, Stephen. Have you enjoyed yourself as a, as a guest on our show? Uh, I really enjoyed it, yeah. I've uh, had a lot of fun and I've actually learned, I've learned quite a lot as well. I think. There we um, go. That's yeah. the thing. That's Education. the thing that a lot of people... That's Education. what we are. You know, That's if, what we are. <laughs> If, what... We should really be under the educational section in the podcast, uh, you know, <laughs> apps and stuff, you know, as well as as well as hopefully that, uh, comedy. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's what I'm going to put it in as now because every time I upload it, it asks me to put a tag on it. So I'll definitely put it down as education because a lot of people have commented yeah. saying I feel like I've learned something, and that's what that's what we're here to do. And um, you listening out there in the world, if you feel like you want to learn something or you just want to follow us without getting a restraining order, uh, why don't you head on over to Twitter, follow us on at ryE. R-I-Y-E podcast uh, and also on Facebook and be sure to listen in every, every, rather every Friday at 8pm as a new episode will drop wherever you find your podcasty goodness. So with that being said, from myself, Kieran Walsh, from Simon and from our guest, Steve, we bid you adieu and as always, keep on reeling. If you're a fight man, a bit for the Phoenix, there's a Phoenix here for you. If your home is grim, off key or flat, whenever you need an option, there's a Phoenix on the land. If you fancy a refund of labor to restore your strength and you, from head to tail, I mean, but it's as much as you as